Hello everybody, thank you very much for downloading this week's episode of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. This is just to let you know that the Cinema Catch-Up Club has an official Patreon page. If you'd like to become an official member of the club and get some bonus goodies, including early access material and bonus features only available to our patrons, then please join up at patreon.com forward slash ccuc podcast. And now, for this week's episode. Yeah, we haven't been stuck at home at all. Yeah, we've not been stuck listening to podcasts. Hello everybody and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club, the podcast for films that you probably should have seen by now. I'm your host Stephen Platt, thank you very much for downloading this week's episode. And this week, it's another in our edition of Patreon Appreciation Month. That's right, we have patrons over at Patreon and we dearly love them, so we let them pick the roster for this whole month. And it's been a little Disney heavy, funnily enough. Uh, We are staying in the realms of Disney, specifically Pixar though, because this week we are reviewing the 2017 film Coco. Joining me to review Coco, we have, as always, someone who has seen the film and someone who has not. Our guest who has not seen the film It's Katrina Johnston, everybody. Hi, Stephen. How are you, Katrina? Jason, you can actually do the like the mock applause. Yeah. (laughs) I was being Uh, quiet. I don't know how this is working online. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm very good. Um, You know, surviving and making do with this weird little world of ours. Yeah, it is a it is a little strange mm. old world, but you've been mm. uh, coping, obviously. Yeah, you, as as many people on this program are, you are someone who was predominantly employed in the arts. Uh, so I imagine that has been not good. Um, yes, it, it w- has been a bit crap. I yeah, I was I was fun employed for about three weeks, and then mm. you know managed to find something else. Managed to be like uh, find a company that were like. Oh, you uh, you can lift heavy things, and you have half a brain. So cool, come on board. Um, so that was good. And you know, I'm one of the few arts workers that the government's um, funding and all those little payments that they've set up actually apply to. Mm. So I'm, um, yeah, I'm good in that sense, and just trying to keep busy and creative as best I can. But well, a lot of knitting and a lot of embroidery. Ah, uh, that's that's what I was going to ask: is what what has replaced it? But knitting and embroidery that 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 seems to be what a lot yeah. of people have done. Uh, you've yeah. not seen Coco. No, I have not. So, I am. I was I was aware of it, mm-hmm. um, and I'll beat your question mm-hmm. that you're. I'm pretty sure you're just about to ask. Yep. Um, yeah, I am aware of it. Like as through you know the fifty things you didn't know about Disney movies lists that you find all through the internet. Um, I know it's about. I know it's connected to the um, concept of the Day of the Dead which is very prevalent in South American cultures. Um, Apart from that, I don't really know anything. Uh, From the pictures that I've seen, it looks very kind of Tim Burton-y, but maybe with 
bit less creepy. I so. could just be that there's a lot of skulls. I mean, that, that tends to be <laughs> sure. Tim Burton. Um, yeah, yeah it, it, it should be interesting um, to get that kind of fresh perspective on it um, because this is quite a recent film as well. We don't tend to do mm. films that are so recent. So uh, it'll be fun to see what you think. Luckily, joining us, we have someone who has seen the film. It's Mr. Jason Dolly, everybody. Buenos tardes. <laughs> ah, see. Si. Uh, how are you, Jason? <laughs> I'm good. Uh, me gusta. Uh, yes, uh, Jason, I don't speak um, either Spanish or the language of the dead, uh, so I'm not able to respond to that. Uh, but what I will no, ask... that's all right. That's all right. I, um, yeah, yes. No, I, um, I, I picked up a bit of Spanish. I had relatives who used to live in Texas and had a lot of... There's a relative amount of kind of Mexican Spanish influences there. Excellent. So, so yeah. you have seen Coco. I have, yes. And what, it, it, obviously with the vague non-spoilery mm. sort of way as we normally ask with yeah. this question, <laughs> what can you tell someone like Katrina who has not seen Coco? What can they expect from this film? It's a really good Pixar film, I would say. I think like for what you imagine a Pixar film to be, the heartwarming, the family, the everything else, mixed with this really nice, an interesting dose of Mexican culture, um, very much Mexican specifically um, in a lot of ways. Um, it's clever. I, I was saying to somebody, it's as good as any other Pixar film, but it seems to be less, res not respected, but I guess watched as well, which is, I think, ironic because um, it was, it did make a lot at the box office, I think, because of this level of representation that I had, especially in America, where it was about, yeah, it is about Mexican culture and Mexican family. And it's, yeah, it's just a really well-made film. Hmm. And I, I suppose, um, given that it is a Pixar film, um, and they've got quite the back catalogue these days of hmm. films, um, whereabouts would Coco sit in your sort of personal list? Like, is it, Towards the top or middling? It is very much towards the top. It might lose to a couple of Toy Stories, mm -hmm. but it probably beats Up. Okay. Ooh. Yeah. Really? Well, I, the thing is, with Up, like, I love Up as much as anybody else. It starts incredibly strong at the beginning, but the end is never as good as the beginning. Mm. Um, like, because it just descends into save dog, save bird, have dog kind of stuff. And it's still very good but it, it's never as amazing. I feel like this one, or the emotions that you feel in the beginning of Up is kind of spread throughout. So it kind of is mm. higher for longer. Um, Interesting. Yeah, and it, it's, it's just, it's really good. And I think they make everything beautiful. Like, you know, the people, the family, the artwork especially mm. is just beautiful in this too. Excellent. Well, with all that being said, shall we watch Coco? Yeah, yes, let's, let's go. All right, for those of you listening at home, uh, pop on those streaming services and prepare to leave an offering for your ancestors as we watch Coco. <laughs> everybody we have just finished watching coco and by we i of course mean uh, 
Mr. Jason Dolly. Hello. And Katrina Johnston. Hello. Katrina, that was your first time watching Coco. What did you think? It was so beautiful. Mm. And yeah, it's, I th- oh, I told you I'd start crying. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's, no, I, first time I watched it, I cried too. So it, Yeah, I, I cried. Mm. Um, so it's, it's gorgeous. It's a gorgeous little film. Mm. It is. Um, yeah. I, this is my first time watching it as well. Uh, I didn't cry because I'm a man and I've repressed my emotions. But, um, <laughs> but no, but and it you're is, British, so that's double British. repression. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is that why you were making so much tea after this, just to wash it down? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I'm just going to drink all this tea. Can't feel this. Um, but but it, it was very emotional. It was moving. I was moved watching it. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't feel like it wasn't like I wanted to cry, but I felt very engaged with the story and with the characters. Mm. And um, I just sort of really, I, I felt like an incredible respect for the characters, which I think is uncommon for Pixar films. Like I, I, in terms of, I like Pixar films. I think they're generally mm. really good, but, and you know, um, with the possible exception of the opening 10 minutes of Up, or the towards the end of Toy Story 3, I don't think any of the films have made me feel as strongly as, as Coco just mm. did. It's, it's incredible. Um, it's more incredible than The Incredibles in, in that respect. It is, mm. um, it, it is such a well-told, moving story. Yeah. 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 Um, which I think is something that Pixar does very well. Like, I would disagree with you on... on on that Stephen like Mm. I maybe it's just me um I I think it's pretty rare for a Pixar film to not have me at least you know wipe away a single tear um because they always find those moments like to use your Incredibles comparison Mm -hmm. uh the moment when in the final fight what, what are their names Bob and um Helen Helen, mm. uh, when he when he tells her that he doesn't want her fighting because he just he cannot deal with the idea of losing his family, mm. that moment, mm. oh, gets me every time. And then you know the famously the first ten minutes of Up, yeah, gets everyone. I think. Yeah. Oh yeah, first, first, ten, uh, and first I, ten minutes. Yeah, off. there's always at least one moment. Yeah, I mean. Uh, yeah, there's always at least one moment. I mean, as, as people that hadn't seen the film, we should have known this. We should have known they were setting up a trap and we were going to be like, oh, feelings. Um, now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Um, the, also the end of Monsters, Inc., the first one, where... Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, oh. yeah where he, he has to let Boo go and it's like, ugh. Um, yeah, so, so anyway, Coco. Really, really great film. Uh, while, while we just kind of all get our emotions out of the way, now let's actually discuss the film that we saw, which is um, yeah. a beautifully animated film about a young boy named Miguel 
and Miguel wants to be a musician, except his family hates music because they had an ancestor who was a musician who ran away and never came back. And obviously he's going to go on an adventure and show them that, no, music's the really important thing, family, but then maybe he'll learn family important along the way. It's it's really interesting that it feels like it's a lot of other films or story Mm. types that we've seen before, Jason. But the way that this film tells it, mm. particularly in its third act, for me makes it stand out in the aftermath as being such, taking something that is such a kind of well-trodden path, narratively speaking, but telling it so, so well that it stands out. Yeah, it, it's almost like at the beginning of the film, you just have to accept the whole, like the family is two-dimensional because they hate music. And as soon as you've swallowed that pill, the rest of the film is completely fine. It's that one that you need to kind of get through. I think that's what a lot of um, children's films, I would say, do. Yeah, yeah. And set up this very... Lower lower the film for a little bit and then just bring it back up to making making people cry. Well, to me, it's almost like because um, children's films, I think a lot of... Uh, creators of children's films, but they don't necessarily go out to educate kids. They're like, we want to um, tell a story. And historically, stories ha- throughout time have been um, about teaching someone something. You know, if mm. you know, we go back to one of the oldest cultures of the world, you know, the Australian Indigenous people, all their stories, they're teaching people something, yeah. whether it's how to take care of the land, or how to hunt for something or, you know, what ceremonies to do, that kind of thing. And stories just continue, like, that's one of the main purposes of stories, to teach us about ourselves and our history and how we can make sense of this world. And I think that's why they do that, that 2D setup at the beginning. So if you're teaching a child, you don't, start off teaching them algebra, you teach them one plus one. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And then you continue from there. Yeah. And (laughs) look, I mean, it it really works though. Like uh, the thing that I really Mm. liked about the way that this was done is it's established that Miguel has a big family. Who are most of them? Mm. They're kind of not important. I mean, they are important because they're family. Because they're family, yeah. But in terms of the story, we don't spend much time with his parents because it's more about Miguel's relationship with his grandmother, his great-grandmother, and his Mm. great-great-grandmother. They're they're, they're the more important relationships in different ways. Um, A couple of points, you're like, okay, which one's his actual parents? Oh, yeah, those ones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Like in the big... Because there's two groups. There's like the living family and then Mm. there's the um, deceased family. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting though that you get you get so much of what the dynamic in that family is like from very very few moments with them. You get the sense that he's I'm guessing they're his older brother and sister who are working in the shoe shop, the one that keeps flinging shoes into the ceiling by accident. Um, um, <laughs> you get the sense that that's either like, it's a like cousin, those shoes are lethal. Oh yeah, it's great. Oh, it's like, who throws I a like shoe? I the rest of the scene. He's staring up. um but yeah you've got you've got those guys but there was a great bit where after he'd been told off for shining the shoes the mariachi man and the the young girl who i'm presuming was like an older sister of miguel's she just gives him a look where it's kind of like a you got in trouble look and it's kind of yeah yeah in just one look you got 
I'm guessing they're siblings because that's the look that a sibling gives yeah. to another sibling who's, who's in trouble. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they do <laughs> really well with those things. Um, but yeah, Miguel, he's got this yearning passion to be a musician. I really like the grandmother. I thought she was actually going to be a bigger part of this story, the one that was lethal with a shoe. Yeah, yeah, she's, she's more of a foil. Mm. Yeah, um, but, but that relationship is really well told. Um, and I, I think it's something that I, I could probably just say that phrase for all of the relationships in this film, is mm. that yeah. they're all incredibly well told. There's really only one villain. As, as there tends to be in Pixar films, usually you have people on opposite sides, but very few are actual... But they come together. Yeah, very yeah. few are actual villains. Um, you have your, like, your Sid or your um, Prospector or, um, and so on. Yeah, but you... Um, like you're, yeah, you're a... but, yeah, but yeah, in this, the, really the only baddie is, is Ernesto de la Cruz. Um, who... It's such a great name to say. <laughs> it, is. it is. It is. Um, but what I want to know is, is Katrina, uh, this film sets us up quite mm-hmm. clearly to believe that Ernesto is Miguel's great great grandfather. When in <laughs> when in the film did you realize? Yeah, that and I know Katrina why you're asking thought. me that. <laughs> yeah, uh, but when in the film did you realize that he was? Um, when? Yeah, I figured it out when he was when there, or at least I suspected it. Uh, when they were at the um, talent, talent night, yeah, yeah, the talent yeah that's where I and I'm like, this well. is, yeah, this has got to be, there's got to be a trick up the sleeve because that he, explains He's connecting it. too much with Hector. Well, it wasn't so much that it was, oh, he, oh, no, it might have even been a little bit earlier that I started suspecting it when Hector says, oh, I taught him everything he knows. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh. Uh, maybe maybe he's a bit more dodge than than first suspected. <laughs> and it was um, voiced by Benjamin Bratt, for anybody who likes Law and Order, he is Ernesto de la Cruz. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm the only I, one who likes... I don't yeah. know who that is. Okay. No, I, I didn't realise. That's that's brilliant. Um, yeah, I know, because it's, it's, it's a cast of, like, there's nobody oh, like yeah, jumps yeah. No Tom Holland or Chris Pratt or anything like that in it. Mm. There's famous people, but they're mm. not, like, it's not sold on the voices like yeah. it can be something. But this film doesn't need that. Um, no, it really doesn't. I um, yeah. I've I recently a couple of days ago watched Onward. Oh yeah, is the new Pixar film. Mm. Yeah, this this is this is a, like Onward's fine. Yeah, but this I felt like is a lot better than Onward. Mm. Okay, it's so maybe that's that why one. I was really looking forward to it after watching Onward. I'm like, yeah, it's good, but I want to watch the really good. Yeah, and and I think it's fair to say this this is just a really good film. I mean, Ernesto, when Ernesto and Miguel meet, I had that feeling of like, okay, so you're the Pixar baddie that we don't realize is a baddie until mm. another act has passed. Because just because yeah. there, there's certain tells in those relationships, and I still didn't care because it was really well told and it was also like, is this going to be a redemptive baddie or is it just going to be a bad baddie? Turns out it's a bad baddie. Yeah. He's a murderer. Bad baddie. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, but, pretty bad baddie. <laughs> but Crushed you, by a bell. Yeah, beautifully well told. <laughs> um, be- really nicely put together. It's such a lovely film to look at as well. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's just visually gorgeous. 
Yeah, everything yeah. from the leaves to like the shape of the actual like City of the Dead or what have you and oh, how that changes. It was so gorgeous. Then it goes, I, my favorite bit, and I never realized it, is how um, Dela Cruz's house is also, it's got that art deco feel as well. And like, it's kind yeah, of into that for the rest that. of it. And then it's just suddenly like, bang, because it's also, this is one of those films that it's like, there is no time it's set in. If you think about it, like a lot of it doesn't make sense. Like there's nothing to set it now. Mm. Well, it's at least set after 1942. Because that's when Dela Cruz dies. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And that's got to be about 80 years after that, probably. So if you look at Coco and imagine that she maybe is 90. Mm. And yeah, I would say it'd have to be maybe even a bit longer than, oh no, wait, 80 years, that puts us in one. yeah. Yeah. But I guess even then, like you look at the actual real world and it doesn't look modern either. It just mm. kind of looks normal. So I think they're aiming for this kind of timelessness. And I feel like it really pulled off as well. Yeah. We're now getting into trying to time the timeless things. So I think it was really lovely. This was something I only noticed mm. towards the end. And I looked it up um, as the credits were rolling. All the technology that was in the Land of the Dead was dead technology. So it was old was, style yeah. TV oh, cameras. Cool. Um, yeah, it was all, all the, like computers that um, what is the grandma hits? Yeah, the devil box. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everything. That is awesome. Yeah, so that's yeah. why they didn't have mobile phones, but there were walkie-talkies. Um, Although hmm. they definitely had lead screens at that concert. I recognise oh. a lead screen, and oh, <laughs> they were lead screens. Yeah, there must have been some very very early adopters of um, yeah. Uh, yeah LED technology. Uh, but it was <laughs> it was. Um, yeah, it, it was those details that were really impressive. And mm. I I loved the, not just the colourful guardians, but I loved the way that their vibrancy seemed otherworldly, even though we were in yeah. another world. Everything had a like bit of a, yeah. Everything had like a bit of a sparkle, mm. but it wasn't ludicrous. It wasn't like touched by an angel kind of feathery camera Cheesy. work. <laughs> Mm. Yeah. Yeah, there was nothing was, cheesy about it. It's based in like um South American, Mexican like art and history mm. as well. Like there's a reference to everything that's going on in the music as well. I think I think the music is almost what like everything is at 10 and the music as well is mm. perfect like all the songs, the mariachi things and I'm it just makes me go, "Oh, this is great like i don't know as yeah. much about like mexican music or um that kind of mariachi music but you're like no i'm i'm, I'm in for it now this is if this is what it can be and like all the songs mm. the Familia, um the world is and that kind of thing and remember me it's like there's it's like only four songs but they're really memorable yeah mm. they're very good songs um mm. literally a, a friend was texting me and she's like and i'm like oh yeah i'm just watching coco and she's like oh my gosh the songs are so beautiful yeah and and they are and i think it's interesting that you touch on the songs being memorable when memory is such a big part of this it's so song. important yeah. yeah um and this seems to be a thing with you know a couple of the more recent pixar films obviously inside out is very much about memory about and, memory yeah. and mm. um you know, you know the brain in general in this one it's a bit more it, it it's definitely a thematic element, but it's not mm. as in your face. It's very much um, the it's thread. It's connections. 
yeah, it, it's, it's important. Like connections more than memories. It's the, external, not internal. Yeah, the yeah. interesting thing is connecting music to memory, and mm. particularly with that final scene between uh, Miguel and Mama Coco, mm. and the fact that the song makes her snap out of her dementia for a little bit, which is yeah. a known and approved therapy. Um, music therapy for dementia patients is something quite amazing. Um, and it can, because it's so visceral and we place ourselves so much more easily when we hear a song that we associate with the time of our lives. Um, studies have shown our favorite music is when, is the music that we were listening to between like 14 and your early twenties. And after that music starts to sound worse to you. Mm. Because you can't, because it, because it separates, um, well, it changes the older you get because music does. And if the further it gets away from your highlight years mm. of like mid to late teens to early twenties is the, the more you can't associate with it. That's interesting. And I think mm. it's really lovely that the, the memory of, um, of Hector was sustained through the music oh, as the opposed song. to through the photograph yeah. um yeah, I, yeah. I thought was really yeah. lovely um hector was great just as a character but yeah. <laughs> I, I think th it, it's it's that th that brilliant thing of where you first see him and he's dressed as frida carlo um yeah. trying yeah, to yeah i totally thought it. he would just be a throwaway character mm. just it like maybe he'd pop relief. up in a cameo yeah mm. yeah it's like oh no he's he's really important <laughs> well, yeah because it, 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 it i kept thinking of aladdin when watching this film because the relationship mm. between hector and miguel reminded me a little bit of the relationship okay. between the genie and aladdin but yeah. this this would have been like if the genie had turned out to be Al's dad or something like that yeah. it was it was like a really interesting subversion of that but the, yeah the character is beautifully realized great physical comedy the, the i think the moment where i realized that this was a really good film was shortly after miguel it has first switched over to not being alive when he's in the mm. kind of ghost mode and you see yeah. the skeletons running around and there's the little old guy uh papa uh is it papa i can't julio? remember his name. uh papa julio yeah when he yeah gets knocked over and all his bones fall apart and then they start to reform yeah. and then he gets knocked over again. And I was like, this is great. Like just, just the, the <laughs> way that was told, but the way it looked and the way all the bones kind yeah. of flowed together and they became these, these really, really funny caricatures because, you know, this, this is a film that is about death and dying and the dead and yeah, moving it's on. it's existential in, like, mm. it's an existential kids film in a way. Yeah. And it's like, oh, this is that's something else like like yeah. inside out but but to, but to me watching it i didn't feel as though this would have been scary like it didn't trigger any of my no. oh a child shouldn't be watching this kind of feelings um it, it, i it, i even got reminded of it at that point where ernesto before we know he's a bad guy says i hope you die soon <laughs> it's yeah. like oh that's right <laughs> they're dead <laughs> um but it was it was such a such a well animated um, portrayal of these characters, the way they moved in, yeah. in motion was mm. was just wonderful. Yeah, they'd obviously figured out what kind of spirit world physics would apply and mm. how that would apply to their bodies and all the various things. Like the or fact what that their bodies are in terms of... Yeah, it's like, 
there's a small point at the neck, there's a small point at the hips, and then the yeah. legs are kind of a little wandery. I really liked how Mama Imelda had, she, she'd obviously in life had a, a choker necklace, and she oh, yeah, still had it. Further back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's sitting right around her spine. Because yeah. obviously yeah, yeah. she doesn't have any flesh, so it's not just going to float there. Same <laughs> mm. with Della Cruz's thought, like bow tie, bouffante cravat thing as yeah. well. Mm. It, it half tucks back as well in a way that just makes you go, oh. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and again, another great character is, is Mamma Rimelda, who mm. is, um, I, I, see, I thought you might have, I thought you'd like her, Katrina. When I was watching this, yeah. I was like, I've got a feeling this is a character <laughs> Katrina might be latching onto. Uh, what, what, what was it about her that you enjoyed? Well, to be honest, I didn't find myself latching onto her that much. Like, it was interesting because she, I loved, I loved the beginning sequence with the paper cutouts how she's like, oh, she doesn't pine after the guy who's left. She's like, she just goes, you know what, stuff you. I, I've got my child to take care of. I, we're going to make a life for ourselves. Awesome. Shoes. Yeah, mm. shoes. Hey, <laughs> if I knew how to make shoes, my I would have to spend a lot less money. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, so she she's just, she's a very powerful force. And I think you see that in the... The living grandmother as well mm. in a way mm. she embodies that rage although it's misunderstanding really that the source of it yeah. um embodies the rage in in real life even and though she never experienced it because she's yeah. Coco's daughter so she'd never met the dad yeah but and she's I, probably she probably grew up listening to her grandmother complain about this missing person in their life which just kind of goes to show how trauma can affect intergenerational, ha have an intergenerational effect. Intergenerational trauma, yeah. Mm. How it's yeah. a thing. I um, I think I think one of the reasons I think that Katrina and I were both quite not yeah enamoured with this film, I think is a good word for it, is because I think we both come from quite large families. Yeah. As well, Katrina, like, you know, you're one of four and I don't know what your extended family situation's like, but mine Jeez. is, I, I have a huge extended family on both my parents' sides. It's like, it's massive. And that kind of like, somehow it's a group level of mm. love that you give yeah. and you get from the, them. Yeah. The is something that really kind of sits well with me. And I, I don't, I don't think it's exclusive to Mexican culture, but it's definitely a part of that as well. Mm. Yeah, it's much more embedded. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm half Irish, so I have about 22 cousins, I think, at the last yeah. count. We, we, we had one turn up last year. I'm like, whoa, we're still coming? Whoa. Uh, but yeah, um, yeah, that whole extended... As in they were born? They were born. discovered them? Okay, they were born, okay. yeah, okay, brand new. Yeah, yeah there's, there's, yeah. Look, there's like almost four decades between us now. Like Freshly between, minted. Between the eldest and the youngest, it's mad. But... Mm. Um, but yeah, that kind of big extended family um, connectivity thing, a absolutely, as, again, someone who is from a big family, I think we, we all are, it's, mm. It, mm. it is interesting how they captured that and how you can capture those discrepancies in different sections of the family. And in a way, this film made me slightly appreciate looking for Ala Brandy more, Jason. <laughs> yes! Uh, that, that relationship between the three generations of the italian um, yeah. The, yeah there's yeah. there's italian women and, and what happened to them in their life a little mm -hmm. bit of this with the 
I suppose with Coco, with Coco's daughter, with Coco's mum, and the way they were all interacting with Miguel, it did make me go a little bit, okay, I, 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 I maybe, maybe this is just a better told version of that compared Possibly, to... Possibly, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I would. I wouldn't Charles disagree. Brandy was gold, man. Uh, yeah. look, it, it, see, see somebody else who likes it. Thank you. I didn't not like just, it. I just didn't love it. <laughs> yeah. Well, to be fair, you're not a teenage girl, so yeah. That, and you that, weren't here in you weren't in Australia in the early two thousands. No, I was yeah. not. So yeah, look, I, I'm I'm aware I missed the boat quite literally. On and that the other one. person we had on was homeschooled. So <laughs> yeah, that, that that did not help. Um, no. But, Although but, I never studied that book, I read it on my own. Me neither. Under my own steam. Just don't read Finding Francesca because it's pretty much the exact same book. <laughs> and you're like, this was good for one, not two. Yeah, only right. one of you gets to do this. You heard that? You know which Australian books to pick up. <laughs> yeah. Um, look, I, I don't know how much more there is to say about the story of Coco. Um, but I think we want to focus a bit more on the everything else as well yeah. like, mm. and so on because the music is is amazing and mm. it's by um i pointed out that there's a character in it that looks a lot like me it looks yeah. exactly like you it's it's i you really want exactly to shave like your me. chin and um, do like some little gold put this up, maybe you can do the same thing you did with the photo of me in amadeus as well and yeah. sort of, <laughs> but it's michael giacchino who is a very an insanely good composer I'm not surprised Stephen knows who it is, who he is, because Michael Giacchino, he writes, he did, he's done so many movies. He's done some of the Marvel movies. He's done that. He's done so much TV. He likes to put puns in the titles of his works. So Katrina, I have a collection of some of the best ones. Okay. So um, for um, Dawn of the Planets of the Apes, he had tracks. You're just like, enjoying this, aren't you, Stephen? You're yeah, he's gonna love it. Oh yeah. my god, this is no, why he, he knew who Michael Giacchino was. No, he's enjoying the pain that this is going to give me. <laughs> yes, so uh, in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, there's a track called Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Um, Katrina did not enjoy Apes that one. of Wrath, that one's and not Give and Take. Oh, Give and Take is excellent. Yeah. I like Give, give uh, In John take. Carter, another one um, of Stephen's favourite films, there is Get Carter. Yep. And A Thern for the Worst. Uh, Thern's being one of the aliens. Yeah. Look, so, sometimes you my go personal, Yeah, my that personal favourite one is he wrote for Lost as well. Mm. And early in one of the seasons, this character called Boone dies and his death monologue is called Booneral. So look, yeah, that's my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> and look, that's the great thing about puns is everyone has their own yeah. favorites. Pretty sure you also did the music. I've got, for... I've got a page and a half more, Katrina, but I'm not going to do it. Uh, yep, because otherwise I'd be hunting <laughs> yeah. you down. Yeah, no, Michael Giacchino loves his puns, makes a great skeleton. Um, I really liked when, when the little Michael Giacchino skeleton just snapped his little stick. when, yeah, when in Esther Rebellion was of um, Dela Cruz. Yeah. <laughs> I love that moment. It's like a... You. Yeah. yeah, and I, I again, I, it was really that that reveal of Ernesto being the, the bad guy initially, and then you know his ultimate comeuppance where he 
Jamie Lannister's Miguel right off the side of the building. Um, and, yeah. <laughs> but it's all caught on Throwing camera. Small children. Yeah, it was. It yeah. was. Yeah, really... and that's it. Where it comes back at every like because it is about this personality thing. You see that bit where he still thinks um, Miguel is his grandchild, mm. yeah. grandchild, and they're walking through. It was like, oh, these are the these are the offerings I got to, and it's like a room full of food and mm. like. And guitars. Christmas tree full of guitars, yeah. yeah. And, and I, it's like, oh, okay, it's like, this is why he still does it. And like, it's this powerful... Mm. Well, I think also it just, um, even if he didn't get that from it, I think he would still want to protect his, um, reputation. his reputation. I yeah. think his, his reputation is important for his, the sake of reputation. Yeah, and um, I think it's also, there's also a level of power that comes with it. Everybody cares mm-hmm. about him. And yeah, speaking of famous people, well, he's not famous in the real world, but like Frida Kahlo, what did you guys think of having her in it as well? I loved it. Yeah, yeah. I thought, <laughs> I liked your comment about the, what was it the avocado? It's on fire. It's on fire. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also me. <laughs> I was yeah. watching, watching that segment of the concert. I'm like, Okay, so it's, I, I don't know much about Frida Kahlo, except I know that she was Mexican. She was a she painter, really, she wasn't exactly yeah, like Yeah, I, I, I know that. She was very, a very odd, well, not odd, but a surrealist painter and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Big supporter of the Mexican independence Revolution. movement. Yeah. Um, and particularly of the native Mexicans, um, or the indigenous people, I think. Um, mm. But looking at that, I'm like, so it's like they've gone, okay, Frida Kahlo, and they've inserted the personality of Bjork. I was like, yeah. this is what Frida Kahlo would be like if, if she had Bjork's at, at like best, power yeah. and, and like resources. Yeah, at best, it's, it's Frida Kahlo meets Edna Mode. Yeah. Mm, yeah, so, she's the Edna yeah. Mode. Yeah. yeah, there's also, there's another character in it as well, which I really like because it kind of mixes two of my favorite passions as well, which is there's this character called El Santo, which is the Mexican wrestler with the mm. cape and the mask. Oh yeah, he, where the, the bodyguard gets the selfie with him where he takes his yeah, head. Yeah, gets the oh, selfie, yeah. but he's giving him the head as well. Because El Santo keeps appearing, like almost from there on, he's always with Frida Kahlo as well. Oh. Um, oh, but he is a famous, well, he's a Mexican wrestler which oh. is my love of wrestling, but also my love of schlocky 60s, 50s, black and white films as well. Mm. He yeah. basically, in Mexico, he was, for what De La Cruz was in this film, he was that for actual oh. Mexico. Like he was Superman mixed with Elvis, essentially, but the power that he had mm. more than like mm. Hulk Hogan is for, for Western audiences. And he used to do films like, the one of the only ones I've seen is um, El Santo versus the Vampire Women, but it's that kind of schlock. Mm. You know my love of things like mystery science theater. So yeah. El Santo, I was really happy when I saw him because I'm like, okay, those are kind of the two big Mexican things I yeah. know. And I think it is really telling that um, that clearly a lot of kind of a lot of care has been taken to try and bring that culture of Mexico to this film. Mm. Um, now, obviously none of us are native Mexicans. Um, so we're probably not able to sit there and go, ah, they nailed everything or actually this, this, and this. Yeah, is that problematic? We don't, we, we can't tell. Mm. But a lot of well, the discussion around the film is largely positive for its portrayal, mm. 
which I think means that they generally did an okay job. Yeah, yeah wasn't I... it, isn't it the best performing Pixar film ever? In terms of being at the box office number one, box office. Yes, yeah. it is. Uh, that will be coming up. Essentially, I think a good comparison for that is it's essentially Pixar's Black Panther. I, Black, okay. Black Panther is one of the yeah. best performing films, and you know how much that is down to culture mm. is an interesting debate because so for so long, uh, you know, Hollywood and Western media always had this idea of it's got to be homogenous, like culture is a bad thing. Just make it yeah. white culture so everybody can project whatever the heck they want onto it. Yeah. yeah. Forgetting this idea that, you know, you know, white people can project onto this like we did, yeah. or we can see what we want from it. We don't need to sit there just going, oh, well, they have funny voices, so we won't like it. Yeah. yeah. And I, th I think it's interesting that this is only the second Pixar film where they did that, because the first culture they jumped onto was Scottish culture in Brave, that in kind of Gaelic like Scottish yeah. culture. And that and that's wasn't kind of, long ago. Yeah, that's kind of like a, almost like a safe bet for them because it is a white mm. culture. Um, yeah. And it was also not in the modern day. So they were portraying mm. these people as being long ago and almost like ye olde worldy. It's ancient Scottish, yeah. yeah. I, so think, you can... I think though the difference between Brave and this is they're, with Brave, they're one that tries to work a fairy tale, which is... They, they put it where it's set mm. and two I don't think they were really trying to access the culture or show a culture as much mm. as wanting to show this is what a new uh, a Disney princess for the modern age can look like can do mm. yeah. yeah yeah I think uh, she doesn't need to have a love story she doesn't need to have this that and the other she just needs to have her heart and her brains and she'll she'll be fine yeah yeah a really, probably the best comparison for this for another film is probably even Moana as well. Um, yeah. I saw a lot of that. Also with like Pixar, Disney, like if you look at Moana and Frozen, mainly those two and um, Tangled and so on like that, they've made 3D humans look quite good. Pixar yeah. hasn't always done that. Even in Brave, everybody still looked kind of slightly horrible in a way. Hmm. And like with The Incredibles, everyone's a bit more cartoony, but this is, this really looks more like a Disney film in terms of what the people look like hmm. than, um, than most other Pixar films. Cause Pixar had a really hard time like creating humans for a long time. You go yeah. back and watch Toy Story 1, they all look kind of horrible. Like they, they literally only deliberately show two people's faces, like yeah. Andy and Sids. Yeah. And Sids, yeah. they can make it look as horrible as they want. Yeah, because that's like one of the things that I was really amazed about right at the end was uh, Mama Coco's skin. Mm. How her skin looks. Yeah, yeah. When, the, when she finally starts to move again. Yeah, and just how alive it looked. Like, I, I even messaged to you guys as well, not quite on the people uh, tangent, but how the water looked in the sinkhole that uh, Miguel, Miguel was gets thrown into. into. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, that is, that is amazing because water is one of the most difficult things to, to animate, to draw, even just to paint. I, 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 a friend, friend of a friend, the painter, and I once found out it took them 10 years to figure out how to paint water wow. accurately. Yeah, I and, know with, yeah. And to this point, this is maybe something that comes up later, but 
Pixar as well, every film, especially early on, they always challenge themselves with something mm. to do with it. Mm. Like it was about like Finding Nemo was literally about, all right, how do we make water look watery? Yeah. And they did For that. For Brave, it was, her, it was Nerida's hair. It was the hair, exactly. For Monsters, Inc., it was um, the fur. Mm. And so on. For Bugs Life, it was about perspective and scope. Um, I can't remember all the others, but they almost all have that kind of, all right, now we're yeah. going to revolutionize how this goes mm. as well. So, I mean, now that Pixar's kind of done most things, like yeah. it doesn't need to go, well, you know, this one's the fur one, this one's the so on. Yeah. Mm. Would you guys like some trivia about Coco? Sure. Yes, please. All of this trivia is sourced from IMDb. So if it's not true, don't blame me. Uh, the first bit of trivia we have here is that the film contains uh, certain themes and content that would ordinarily not be allowed to be shown in China. However, uh, the, yes. the Chinese censor board, um, they were touched by this film so much that they made an exception and allowed the film to be screened without edits. Mm, yeah, what aspects of it? ghosts. Yeah. What's and that? ancestry ghosts and ancestry like ghosts is not like you know with us we've got this idea of yeah. ghosts are kind of fun now because of things like how well not because of things like halloween and mm. that's represented in halloween and so on like that ghosts and that kind of uh, spirit mm. spirit things is still quite a is not as but, treated with irreverence as we have but the and, japanese and chinese have the same have similar Rituals involving, you know, honouring your ancestors and memory. True, and but stuff like it, that. it's a, it's a, it's treated with much more um, respect, might be the Reverence. word or something. But for instance, the haunted mansion in Hong Kong mm. is not like it's there's what it is. It's called the Mystic Manor instead, and what it is instead of it being this is a haunted house. Look at it. It's the story about this monkey releases this magic that um, animates inanimate objects and they all come at you like they do uh, in the mansion. They, it's this cultural thing that kind of changes with it. I mean, I'm not, I'm not an expert on Chinese and yeah. Japanese mm. thing, but I know there, is, there are things about ghosts that, they, that are similar to how we approach them. I guess Especially because we just... approach them as like, whatever. Yeah, I guess maybe it's more not flippant but it's a diff it's the rituals it, 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 are approaching the same idea but with slightly different emotions like the mm. mexican or the Dios los muertos is more um happy and joyful yeah, yeah. whereas the japanese and chinese which is i think i think it's through shintoism um is is reverential i guess yeah, exactly. All I know is that in entertainment terms that they'll often approach it differently to us. Mm. Mm. The point is, is this film was so nice, it melted the hearts of the Chinese censor film board. That's, that's kind of just what we need to know. <laughs> You've melted my stone-cold communist heart. Yeah. Um, this movie did spend more days at number one uh, in the box office than any other animated film in the 20th century thus far. 21st century. Sorry. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. So yeah, uh, so that beats things like Frozen. Yep. Yeah. Look, hey, this. Frozen's good, and I like it, but yeah, I think Frozen's I like great. This better. Hmm. Yeah, Speak me too. Like what? With if you look at most of the Disney Pixar films, there's there's scant anything that would really beat it in a lot of ways. Um, 
There's a few things I'd Big say. Hero, like, but... I'd probably put it on the same level as Big Hero Six. I think for me, mm, Big Hero Six is good too. Uh, mm. And I really do love The Incredibles, particularly yeah. the second one. Mm. Um. The Incredibles but, is so good yeah. that it's cursed every Fantastic Four film to never be good. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. It's yeah, it's a bit like how after well, they made Galaxy Quest, there was a bunch of Star Trek films that were just like, okay, they're not that great anymore. Well, that's yeah. also just people making bad creative choices. True, yeah. Mm. Um, according to the film's director, Lee Unkrich, uh, and this was in a conversation on Twitter, uh, Ernesto de la Cruz was not killed when the bell fell on top of him for a second time in The Land of the Dead. He's already dead, for mm. one thing. Yeah. Um, but it's likely that Ernesto... Would have into... Yeah, Ernesto was sentenced to the final death that befalls um, Cheech, um, uh, Chicharron, mm. uh, as the film's epilogue shows that the living has indeed forgotten him. Uh, when his crimes are exposed, because mm. it's like you know yeah. that uh, that wooden sign they've put over the top of his crypt, and the forget fact you. it's falling apart. Forget you. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's I like, remember he, me. Forget you. Yeah, a victim. He's a victim of cancel culture. Mm. Well, yeah, potentially well deserved yeah. victim. Mm. Yeah, exactly. I always remember when I first saw that. I'm like, how did Miguel explain that? Like, no, no. All the ghosts hate him now, so we get to hate him. And I'm like, how does that work? And then it cuts to. The little museum that has got all of mm. the poems yeah. that Coco yeah. had written. All the letters. That's kind of actually the proof of it. Mm. And that was really lovely as well. That was like a nice way of doing it, where mm. it was that Coco had those things all along. To me, yeah, and had the picture. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that was lovely. Um, for me, though, the one thing that really took me out of the film, possibly, and partly it's my own cynicism working against me here, is I'm like, <laughs> oh, people have all of a sudden gone, yes. Like Hector wrote the songs, and he's the greatest musician. I'm like in the real world, that would not exist. There'd still be that little camp, or there'd be someone who's who's a Ernesto like fan standing out front going, "This isn't real. This is all fake. This is fake news." And blah blah blah. But thankfully, this movie exists in Pixar universe, and <laughs> and the evil are vanquished, and the good triumph. Mm. Mm. Uh, Miguel yeah, was a it's, interesting, it's an interesting film where they just literally have a child watch a person die. Mm. Yeah. Like when he sees um, Hector's friend um, Teach, and it's like, oh, okay, cool, just witnessed a death. Mm. Hey, to be fair, Lion King. Lion King, true, true. Yeah. Like, I know that's Disney, not Pixar. Well, before they became one. Mm. But... Yeah. I mean, yeah. Disney has a real tendency to drop villains just off cliffs. Nice clean way of getting rid of them. Wow. It is. It's a bit like how in Doctor Who everybody gets evaporated so there's no body. Yeah. <laughs> you say clean, uh, but <laughs> I wouldn't want to be the one at the bottom of the cliff going, oh, not another one. <laughs> Get the corpse, <laughs> Mop. Uh, Miguel was originally only going to play guitar and not sing. When the director uh, discovered that Anthony Gonzalez was in fact a talented singer, he decided that uh, Miguel was also a talented singer. So he did it so mm -hmm. that his actor could sing and do it. So that's the kid singing and yeah. he's great. And I, I, we haven't really touched on Miguel that much because I think we've just been so blown away by everything else in this film. Mm. Miguel's a pretty, pretty great protagonist, I'd have to say. Yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he, um... Um, he's, he's 
yeah, he's really like interesting and like he's got that rebelliousness that you kind of want in your characters, but enough to make you go like one of my favorite bits is still the bit where he gets sent back to the land of the living. It's like, you can't play music. And then they give him the thing and he walks back. He just really picks up the guitar and just bang straight into exactly yeah. where he was and yeah. like runs into a wall. Yeah. The it's like, okay, thing, cool, I get that. <laughs> the thing for me uh, was, and I, it's always hard to be like, oh yes, this voice, like this character is amazing um, compared to live action films. Because you're not just looking at a voice actor's work or a writer's work or even an animator's work. You're looking at all the, like by your powers combined, you're an awesome character. Mm. Um, the thing that really got me was that moment where Miguel, and you see it twice, where he's where he's basically like he's been told to shut up by his family and he's like no you're gonna go make shoes and and he's like oh i don't feel accepted and just that that moment of betrayal oh that's right that's it was after um his grandmother smashes his guitar and that look of betrayal yeah yeah and particularly when it's betrayal from a family member i'm like oh and you see yeah, it again. We've, with, we've all kind uh, of felt it, even if it was not that as severe as what probably yeah. Miguel had. We've all know that kind of, oh. Yeah. Even if it's something really minor, but if you're a little kid, you're like that, you're, you're like, no. Nah, you just remember it, yeah. Sears yeah. into you. Mm. Yeah, it's funny how trauma will do that. Um, but, but I think that yeah. this film utilises those memories, which can be traumatic. They're traumatic because they mm. matter. And as much as, you know, Miguel says, you know, I don't care about the family. I don't care about my picture being on the table and things like that. Yeah. It, it, it mm. does matter to him and it does matter to them. And I think this film does a really... What it, means. it does a really good job of balancing between him wanting to choose music and wanting to choose family and essentially saying, you can have both, but you have to understand how important they both are. And I think this film does a really yeah. good job of that before he then... That, well, they collectively make the decision to change who mm. they are as a family and to embrace music and to accept mm. each other. And I think it's there's little things like the fact that Hector never wears shoes because the family chose shoes. He's always running around as a barefoot skeleton. But in the oh, last yeah. scene, he's got shoes. I did not notice that. I only noticed that because when he steps onto the bridge, I was obviously looking at his feet and going, oh, are they going to step through the petals or are they going to connect? And I was like, wait, he's wearing shoes. And I was like, I don't think he wore shoes. Of course he didn't wear shoes, because that's the opposite mm. of music, apparently. <laughs> music shoesic. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was wonderful. Um, but yeah, uh, little details like that come across yeah. beautifully. Um, the director, Lee Unkrich, and uh, Adrian Molina had said, uh, have said, sorry, that the most difficult element to animate in this film was Mama Abelita's neck. Yeah, grandmother's neck. Um, in order to have a reference for the neck, Molina asked his mother-in-law, who lives in Mexico City, to travel to Pixar, where he and Uncrich tried to make her angry so that they could see how her neck moved. Uh, but apparently it was very difficult because she was a hard woman to get angry. It took them several hours, but eventually they managed to get her wound up enough to shout at her, <laughs> at her relative. And they were like, that's what the neck's meant to move like. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, flesh always behaves differently um, depending how heavy or how light a person you are. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. 
yeah, it's always interesting how just something that you don't think will affect how something moves or something looks, you're like, oh, actually, that does. That's just, it's like choosing the right fabric to make a dress out of or a shirt out of. Mm. Um, in Brazil, the title of this film was changed to Viva. Uh, the original title, Coco, could easily be mistaken <laughs> for the Portuguese word Coco, which translates to poop. <laughs> So uh, uh, that would have been great. Well, we're going to go watch the new Pixar yeah. film. What's it called? Shit! <laughs> uh, uh, language is fun. Um, the film was originally titled Dia de los Muertos uh, for the Mexican holiday. Uh, in Spanish, though, the holiday is properly called Dia de Muertos. Uh, but during the film's production in 2015, the Walt Disney Company made a request to trademark the phrase Dia de los Muertos for various merchandising applications. Uh. Now, this was met with significant criticism from many people in the US, particularly the Mexican-American community, who derided the company for cultural appropriation and exploitation. A week later, Disney cancelled these efforts and changed the film's title to Coco. What? And Coco is such a really interesting name for what it is. I yeah. know. Because like I, you, I, on it's the one not hand, literally just like, you know, a gr the great-grandmother who's barely in it. Yeah. But she's the most important thread that connects because she's the memory yeah she yeah. connects it all together and also as, as an abstract name it's quite good if it was called like familia or you know something on mariachi or something to do with guitars mm. or something it's like oh, that's a bit more on the nose this is so subtle yeah, yeah. and like you said they're just going okay coco's about this and it's like well what is coco and it's like it's it's important but it's not the focus it's more the mm. thing in the background the looming yeah not looming, but shadow that kind of is yeah. there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously, um, I'm sure Dear De Muertos would have been a perfectly fine name. And mm. I don't know if this was Disney trying to buy a, a holiday, you know, if they, release a film, <laughs> if they release a film called Christmas and then try and trademark it, that's obviously an issue. Um, it, it, I don't, I would like to think that they went, oh, we're going to make a film about uh, the Day of the Dead and we're going to call it its name in its original language. Oh, but we do have to do all those trademark things we normally do. Yep, going to get on it. Oh, wait, that's a problem. I'd like to prefer it was that, where they're all essentially like haphazardly in a British comedy where they've not thought of anything as opposed to <laughs> yeah, what it probably was. Faulty Pixar's. Like, yeah. <laughs> these companies have very smart lawyers working for them. Surely there would have been a lawyer in there that goes... This is named after a cultural holiday. Um, yeah, we're not going to be able to, like, why, why even bother trying to trademark it? This is just going to take you down a route of, oh, yeah, actually, can't do that, uh, and give a whole bunch of bad press. It's like a real bad move on mm. the part of the legal and PR department. Well, but I mean, it's usually the creative people do it first and the legal people are the last to know. <laughs> um, I've discovered that doing a few things that I've been doing lately. Yeah, like they're the ones that you just go. All right, cool. Oh, we're doing this. Is this okay? And then it's like, no. Yeah, I don't Even know. Like, I, yeah, I, would, I would just, just as easily. Like, as a comparison for like calling Coco, like you know, calling this film Coco is a bit like calling Wally like Axiom and naming it after the ship. Mm. So the mm. ship's important at the end, and it's kind of the big thing at the end. But it's like not the story in a way. Yeah. Mm. But, but the issue still, isn't naming. Yeah, the issue isn't naming the film after it. It's the, oh, 
we have this property, this being the film, like we want to make even more money out of it. So we're going to, that that's their thinking. And it's like, why? It's. Mm. Well, I mean, it's something that comes up now and again with, with businesses like, for example, the, um, the, I can't remember the name of the company, but the company that makes Candy Crush, the the mobile mm. phone game. Oh, they tried to copy Saga. Yeah, because Candy what? Crush Candy Crush Saga was the name of the the game, and they mm. felt that the words you know Candy Crush and Saga were obviously synonymous with their property, and so obviously trademarking the phrase Candy Crush Saga, yeah, that's fine. But they also tried to specifically franchise or trademark the word Saga because they felt that they had a claim to it and it was thrown out obviously but they try these things because if they're able to succeed they essentially steal a word from the dictionary and it's like it's ours now you have to give us a nickel every time you say saga or um, it's got a g in it too so it's worth a few more points in scrabble so exactly (laughs) yeah so So do you want to hear one of the most depressing um copyrights that I heard learned about recently. Please well, I think do. I heard about it for a while. Uh, one property that is copyrighted uh, is the indigenous flag. The Australian yeah, indigenous yeah, flag. Yeah, that was that thing a while ago. Oh, really? It it's, yes. It's copyrighted on clothing? No, it's in for everything. Mm. It is a clothing... Mind you, every, fla- every flag's technically copyrighted. No, it is the only one. No, 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 no. The Australian flag's also got a copyright, I'm pretty sure. No, it would have laws protecting it, but not a copyright. Yeah. Um, no, apparently the Australian Indigenous flag is the only one that is copywritten. I think connected to a, you know... A, a people's, yeah, like the New Zealand yeah, um, Silver Fern possibly is like, copyrighted I, as well. Like I imagine a, you know, a Liverpool flag would, would be copyrighted to the club, but that's a hmm. bit different. But that's that's a club emblem which was designed yeah. uh, for that particular club, for example. Yeah. Um, just just having a quick look up on that because that's fascinating. Um, the reason that the um, indigenous flag is a copyright work um, is because it's mm. owned by the artist who created it uh, more than forty years ago, Harold Thomas. Um, because it's still within copyright. Yeah. So all other flags are essentially not because they're old, or they're created by the state um, and. Yeah. The state can go, this is ours. You know, we've just made this country. This is our flag. No one yeah. gets to take this for that extent. Um, but yeah, I, I did not know that though. But it, I suppose it makes mm. sense. And at the same time, is a bit depressing. Huh. Mm. Education. Isn't it great? Yeah. Uh, the final bit of trivia I have for you is um, to do with when this film was originally released. When Coco first came out, um, if you went to see it in the cinema, you were treated to a 22-minute short film beforehand uh, called Frozen Adventure, Olaf's Frozen Adventure, uh, during which the uh, comical Josh Gad voice snowman Olaf had an adventure. Uh, but it was, as I just said, 22 minutes long and was eventually withdrawn from the theatrical release because people kept thinking they'd walked into the wrong film because it went on for <laughs> So uh, editing definitely oh. needed for that particular one. Which, as I said, when you mentioned that to us whilst we weren't recording, well, in the group chat, um, that that should not qualify, 22 minutes should not qualify as a short film for an animation. Short film. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. Uh, and in this case, that one didn't because it wasn't short. What's your favourite one? 
I love the old man playing chess. I have to go back right to the, oh, to the beginning. Damn, the old man, Jerry's game. Yeah, just playing chess against himself. I just loved that as a kid. I that one. Yeah, I, I really, really yeah. enjoyed that one. Um, do you have a favourite, Katrina? My favourite is, and to be fair, I don't remember all of them. Uh, my favourite is I Love You. Oh, with the, oh, yeah, the, the two mountains. I just, I just love that song. Um, which made me really sad when a mutual friend of ours, I remember ages ago, I think when the, when it came out as, as the short was like, Oh, I'm a composer and people, how do people get all this money from such easy songs? And I'm like, but it's such a nice song and it's so cute and it's volcanoes. They're falling in love. Yeah. What about you, Jason? Uh, my favourite is, it's one that not, not a lot of people have seen. I can't remember which one it was in front of. came out 2008, so... Wally, maybe? Um, it's called Presto. Okay. Which is, it's about a, um, like a magician's rabbit, essentially. And it's, it's, a, it's just full slapstick and everything like that. But yeah, it's really good. It was before Wally. Okay, there we go. Cool. And yeah, it's it's good. If you get the chance, just watch it. It's ten minutes. It's fine. All right, as long as it's not twenty-two. That's that's the yeah. main thing. <laughs> ten minutes. That's a short film. Mm. Yeah. Um. All right, guys. That brings us to the end of our review of Coco. All that remains is for us to score the film. Katrina, it was your first time watching it, so you get to go first. What score are you going to give Coco out of ten? Um. I'm going to give it. Oh, eight and a half missing femurs. Um, <laughs> because it was like, there was at one point, one I, I can't remember which one of you it was, message was like, wow, there's a lot going on in this film. I'm like, Steve. yeah, there was. That's right, yeah, sorry. Um, and yeah, there was a lot going on visually. And at the, at the start, it was like, oh, it was, the pace of it was a bit, weird um but it's it's such a lovely film and it's so beautifully done and it's got such heart to it um yeah mm, i agreed uh, what about you jason what score are you giving coco out of 10 um i'm gonna give it nine and a half um glowing stray dogs out <laughs> of 10 I would say. Mm. It's, I mean, it's so good. I'm I'm happy to probably watch it again anytime. Yeah. I only watched this film like a month or two ago. Mm. Oh, wow. And then, yeah, no, and I was still so happy to go sit down and see it. And they even said, um, my wife watched it with us as well, Carmen. And she, um, she during the day, was like, I'm not sure if I'll see it online. I'm like, that's fine. I'll watch it again. Like, if you mm. don't watch it tonight with me, in a couple of weeks, I'm happy to watch it again. And I still feel like that. And I've only half an hour after finishing it hmm. yeah um we didn't talk much about dante the dog and he is great <laughs> he's just he's that so my good. favorite description of him when somebody i think the grandma um imelda um calls it says that he's a, a one of the spirit animals or something like that mm. and the two twins it's one who goes it eh, doesn't look like a spirit animal it looks more like a regular dog <laughs> one of them goes it doesn't look like a regular dog it looks like a sausage that someone dropped in a barbershop yeah <laughs> and he was just that bit manky and his tongue kept going everywhere but so completely around his head and then somehow wrap around his face 
<laughs> I think, again, just just really beautiful. And I think Dante really well, encapsulates. Well, the did message us about when he's eating the food that's mm. being offered. Yeah. And, like, you know, he tells him off, he just looks and then just keeps eating. Yeah. No, I think, I think Dante really... Just faster. Really captures what this film is. Um, it's, mm. it, it is surprisingly beautiful and very engaging. Yeah. Um, um, it's, it's beautifully well told. Um, I, I had a rollicking time um, hmm. watching this, and it, and it's very moving. Um, like you know, it's it 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 made me feel things, uh, which is, <laughs> and they were good things. So that's always How much positive. Tea did you have to drink to repress uh, that? I had to drink a lot of tea, just black. <laughs> I will I will say for me, it made me think of the final episode of The Good Place. Yeah, there is a think good about, place existential rule. Thing yeah, that it made me off. think about the same sort of things. It well, there's the feel, after death as well. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And it, yeah, it made me think of a lot of the same things. But what are you scoring it, Stephen? <laughs> well, yeah. I think I'm going to give Coco nine flaming papayas out of ten. Uh, <laughs> I, I, that are also you. Yeah, that are also me and also Frida Kahlo. Uh, yeah, they were. Yeah. They were also your mother. Yeah, what? Um, yes. Uh, it was. It was. Um, it was just such a delightful film, and it was weird because mm. going into this film, I, I really knew nothing about it beyond that it was called Coco. Um, yeah. And that, yeah, you that, hadn't seen this, had you? No, I hadn't I seen it. I knew that it involved, you know, some spooky, scary skeletons uh, doing their thing, but I, I did, and I presumed it was to do with the Day of the Dead. Yeah, but knowing virtually nothing about this film and jumping into it, it was, it it was really lovely to know about halfway th- through that the film was was really winning me over. Um, mm. it was, I was really enjoying it, and yeah. So even though it follows a little bit of a formula for Pixar stuff, um, like that formula is just so good. That's why they follow it. That's why it's a formula because yeah. it works. That's that's why it's good. And I just had a really lovely time with it. And I, I thought it was beautifully told. I, I loved, again, I've said this before, I'll say it again, the relationships between the characters are wonderful. Yeah. I loved the relationship between um, Imelda and, and Hector and how that developed. And, you know, mm. and he's, he's like, you said love of my life. It just came out like that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> it was well, really what I said. <laughs> yeah, so sweet, so lovely, so fun. And before we go, the sequence where she's on stage and she starts to sing oh. and the goons are chasing her and then her and Ernesto are fight dancing. I was, yeah. I was sitting there just going, yeah. the choreography on this is amazing. I haven't seen anything like this in terms of a, a dance fight movement sequence. Yeah. And I, she also fights with the all the guards too, yeah. the security. It was, it was, and like you could tell that's what it was, but it was so well signposted and so well done where it was kind of like secreted into this thing. So the audience weren't like, hey, that's so woman's much bit tension. Yeah. And like, who's got the photo? Where's it going to go? All these things. And then when she breaks from him, she stomps and he does the, the yell. The, yeah. Hey, hey, hmm. kind of... And that, that sequence just made me go, God, this is a good film. So <laughs> yeah, it was a real pleasure getting to watch this film. Jason and Katrina, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. Thanks for having me, Stephen. And for those 
And for those of you listening at home, thank you for listening in. Uh, We are coming towards the end of our Patreon Appreciation Month. Uh, This is where our wonderful patrons suggest films. One of them suggested Coco, and I think they're great for doing so. Uh, If you want to become a member of our Patreon, join in and uh, suggest films in the future. Uh, By all means, join up over at patreon.com forward slash CCUC podcast. We are also available on Facebook. You can go there, like us, you know, check out the page, see what's happening in our world. Um, just go over to Facebook, search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club, become a part of the community there. And of course, you can subscribe to us. We're on Spotify, we're on SoundCloud, we're on iTunes, we're basically anywhere that you can get podcasts. Just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club, click subscribe, and you'll get a fresh episode each and every week. But that's all for now. So until next time, Goodbye. Bye bye. Adios. Adios, amigos. You have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com.